Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field and deep. Geyer to the wall. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. D-Man Toy with a two-run walk-off home run. The Rays winning ways here at Tropicana Field continue. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. On the lineup, he pitches. Adamas launches one way up into the air into left field. This one's got a chance. Turning Benintendi, Willie Adamas. With his first big league hit, it's a home run against Chris Sale. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning. Welcome to our latest show on deck today. Colin Poche on his rookie campaign. Dave Andy and Brian Anderson will give us a look ahead to September. Josh Lowe on going to the Arizona Fall League in a very tough week in Montgomery. John Higgins on the original owner of the franchise, the late Vince Namoli, and Jim Rosenhaus on the Indians team. The Rays are battling for a wild card spot. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and our featured guest is entering his first September in the big leagues, and that is Colin Poche, and this is his first season. First of all, how do you feel? Because this is the first time as a pitcher you're going to be working a, a full six month. Yeah, um, physically I feel great. I think what's been big is uh, you know maybe the year I got drafted, um, college season starts pretty early, and then you get drafted, you play that first pro ball season, so... There were some lessons I learned from that season, you know, towards the end about what I got to do to take care of my body. So I'm going to have to start implementing those. That way I can stay fresh all the way through September and hopefully beyond. What has this first year in the big leagues meant to you? And what has this first year been like in terms of it for you? Um, It's been awesome. You know, something I've dreamed of for a long time. And um, coming up here, it's been, you know, there's been a lot of learning, learning spots. Um, I've had some ups and downs. But uh, I think, you know, when the year's over, I'm going to look back on it and kind of celebrate the good times and kind of look back on the bad ones and learn from that so I can be, you know, more consistent going forward into the future. What has been or what have been your best moments for you this year? Um, you know, as a reliever, it's tough because you're going to get you're going to get into a lot of games and you might not be in that game for a while. You know, there's some games that stand out, um, a couple games in Fenway where I felt like I was throwing the ball really well in a tough atmosphere and just... You know, in the moment, it's really hard to kind of look back and enjoy, enjoy you know, individual things. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the rest of the year, seeing what we can accomplish as a team. And then when it's all over, just kind of reflecting back on it then. You touched on the fact that you have to be able to kind of bury and move on as a reliever. I think aside from one game this year, you've 
consistently attacked. How hard has that been when you have had some tough moments, whether it's a, a home run or a key hit and a key moment? Um, you know, it's tough, but uh, the only way you're going to get these guys out is if you're aggressive and you're in the strike zone early and you're, you know, you got to force them to swing at your pitches because uh, these are the best hitters in the world. And, uh, you know, when you're aggressive like that and you throw strikes, they're going to, they're going to get you, you know, here or there. And uh, the key is, is when that happens, you, you got to minimize it. You know, what happens before is you can't put anybody on base. So if they do hit it out of the park, it's a solo home run as opposed to a one or you know, two or three run homer, which can really change a game. You you have to be fearless. You just you kind of have to accept that they're going to get you every now and then. But uh, you have to put the ball in the zone. That's the only way to compete. Who's been most helpful to you in this your first year in the big leagues? Uh, man, it's it's so hard to pick one person. I can think of just I can name countless guys who, when I was struggling, you know, veterans came up to me, pitchers, position players, coaches. It doesn't matter. Everyone's. Everyone's been supportive, and if someone's not playing well or struggling, you know, the other guys are there to kind of pick guys up. Obviously, beyond Chico, there are certain some guys in that clubhouse who have been very helpful. What have Stan and Kyle meant to your development this year? Um, they've been awesome. They've, uh, you know, no matter what, they've done a great job of making sure my confidence stays up, um, always building me up, really uh, reflecting on the positives from each outing just encouraging me, kind of working in the bullpen and just pointing me in the right direction, but not, not overcoaching, you know, kind of letting me go out there and figure stuff out on my own because when you're out there on the mound, there's no one else out there that can really help you. This week was probably, I thought, one of the more challenging moments for you. How much of what happened in Houston had to do with all the family and friends you had there and pitching in Texas as a big leaguer for the first time? Because we forget sometimes the human aspect of the game. Um, you know, there there was maybe an increase of nerves at the beginning of the inning, but uh, you know, outside of that, I think I don't think any of that was to blame for the outing. Um, I think it was just one of those days where I just couldn't find my mechanics, and uh, it was good yesterday to get back out there and kind of have a bounce back outing, especially walking the leadoff batter again. Kind of had to go to my slider as my strike pitch, which is something that you know I usually don't do. You know, yesterday was big for me because it, it showed that you know when I don't have my fastball, my best pitch, then I can you know, sometimes find a way to work out of these innings. Have you been proudest about the way you've handled adversity this year, of, of all the things that you've learned this season? I think that's been the biggest lesson for me. I think in the past I would let, you know, bad outings kind of eat at me and, uh, you know, even even let it change who I was as a person that day. And I think, you know, I think that's been big is that I've been the same person on and off the field no matter how I'm doing out there. And, I, you know, when you see other teammates act that way, it's something you can really respect. So, um, it was something that I knew, knew I needed to get better at, and the only way to do it is to kind of go through it and fail and just learn how to deal with it and bounce back. Because you look at, you know, and, and I usually don't touch on numbers, but you look at the last two years, you haven't had to deal with a lot of adversity. I mean, last year you were the reliever of the year in the organization. Your numbers were incredible. The year before you were very good in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. So I'm guessing this is the first time in a while you've had to adjust to that. Um, it is, yeah. It's probably the first time in professional baseball that I've, I've had, you know, an extended period of struggling, and uh, I think I think that might have actually hurt me in the beginning because uh, I was so fastball heavy with my approach, and I started to get hit, and I was I was really stubborn and not wanting to change things right away because I was like, man, I've been this is the way I've been pitching for the last three years, and it's what's gotten me here. So I I'm not ready to just kind of abandon that and look the other way. But uh, it came to a point where I was like, man, I, I'm tired of giving up runs. I'm tired of 
where we're in a game and then I go in and someone hits a home run and it takes away momentum from our team and it's hurting the club. And so it, it got to the point where I was, I kind of had to look in the mirror and be like, you, you have to do something differently. Like your fastball's good. It's going to be your big pitch, but you have to do something to keep them off of it. You know, there were a few games where the situation called for, I was able to go out there and throw some sliders and the more and more I've thrown it, the more comfortable I've been feeling with it. Aside from the Houston outing, though, you had like an 8-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. And, and to me, that's probably more telling about how you have attacked in your mental approach than anything. Yeah, um, that's always been my approach. Um, really, just anytime you look at a baseball game, team that limits free bases, walks, hit-by-pitches, errors, the team that limits those is going to end up on top most of the time. So if you got a guy out there on the mound throwing strikes, more times than not, good things are going to happen for you personally and the team. Do you look back at you know, your journey to this point. And it's amazing to me what a difference even six months to eight months makes. Tell our fans the odd job that you were doing in the offseason leading into this year because you hadn't even been on a 40-man yet. Guys who get drafted in your situation aren't making a ton of money, so they have to have off-season jobs. Right. So, uh, you know, it's hard in the offseason. You want to get a job because you want to have money. But obviously, you know, your your priority is getting ready for the baseball season because that's, that's your job. That's what I love to do. So uh, you're kind of forced. You know, you can't work normal hours. You're forced to find things where you can fit your schedule around it. So my, my first off season, I did uh, – I refereed adult league kickball, softball, basketball, dodgeball, flag football, just anything in this league. Um, you know, at nights I would go ref the games. Last off season, I worked for – a company it's an app called instacart and it's just grocery delivery so the order pops up on my phone i go in the store grab all the items take it to their house and just keep doing that and it's not ideal it's not obviously how you'd like to be spending your time in the off season but uh you know pays the bills and kind of keeps you busy all right you have to have an odd or funny story from each of those jobs first first refereeing and which sport did you enjoy refing the most of all of those I think uh, dodgeball was probably the best. Obviously, it's I don't even think you need rest for dodgeball, but you just it's pretty fun to just kind of stand there and watch people get hit. As far as refereeing, you know, nothing too crazy. Obviously, people would get into arguments and a couple fights here and there, but uh the best story comes from delivering groceries. So the uh the lady left a note on the order, said something about don't ring the doorbell, just leave the leave the groceries on the porch. So it's my last order of the night. I'm ready to go home. I leave all the groceries on the porch. I'm walking to my car, and I can, I can hear something going on behind me. And I turn around, and uh, the neighbor's dog comes running out the garage and runs right up to the, the porch, starts digging its nose through the groceries. So I turn around, I look, and the dog picks its head up and looks at me, and it's holding a three-pound roll of ground beef in its mouth. And it looks at me, and it just takes off down the street. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, like, I'm not too worried about the food. Like, the food's whatever, but... This lady's dog is running down the street. Like, I have to run after her. And so I'm chasing this dog down the street. Finally catch up to it. Half the ground beef is just out. It's all punctured. I grab the dog by the collar, take it back to its house. lady's like, oh, did he get out again? I'm like, yes, ma'am, he got out. I tell you, I'm sitting here with the ground beef, and I don't think the people are home. And I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I throw this away and then tell them, you know, it's a large order. And really only this one part got bitten into so I just threw it on the porch, ran to my car, and drove off. <laughs> I never heard anything, so I guess everything went well with the ground beef. They weren't too mad about the, the puncture marks in it. But that was when I heard the dog's collar, and 
turned around and the dog just locked eyes with me with the huge roll of ground beef in his mouth and took off down the street. How big a dog? It was a big Rottweiler. So that, that thing was, it was running. I think uh, it's probably the fastest I've ever ran in my life. You have a dog? I do have a dog, nothing that big. I, my parents have a little small dog that I could catch like it's nothing, but that dog was a challenge. And back to refereeing, worst line you heard from somebody getting on you was what? Because I'm sure you, you can hear grief as a pitcher warming up in visiting stadiums. Anything, anything catch up to that? Um, so I was, I was refereeing kickball. I don't remember the exact situation, but something, something happened, and it was kind of a rules question, and I called the guy out according to the rule, and he told me that I didn't know anything about baseball. And so I just kind of had to sit there and just kind of wear that one because I wasn't about to tell him what I do actually for a living. But So that, that one was interesting because it was, it was tough to bite my tongue there. I would imagine. <laughs> Can you recite any of the lines from the movie Dodgeball since you did um, referee dodgeball matches? Oh, man, I love that movie. So probably one of my favorite movies or uh, scenes is – um, what is it? Ben Stiller is talking, and he's uh, he's trying to act all smart to the lady. He spells his name, and he's like, "Yeah, my name is White. W H I T E, of course." <laughs> he like forgets about the E and pauses. But that movie is just too many one-liners to really pick one. I'm guessing that refereeing dodgeball didn't match up to the movie, but hopefully you enjoy that. What else do you like to do for fun when you're not playing baseball? You know, I like to fish every now and then. Um, watch TV, play video games. Really, I think probably just anything a person my age does. Anytime we're not at the field, it's always nice to kind of relax and get away from the game. And for you, obviously, this is the last month. You're hoping that it leads to another month in October. Um, what would that mean to you and what would it mean to this group? Um, it'd be everything. I mean, it's awesome. It's it's what you set out to do from the beginning of the year. And, uh, you know, first year in the big leagues, you can't ask for much more to be on a contending team with just a great group of guys who really care and look out for each other. So I think if we do get into that postseason with the way the guys play for each other, it's going to be a lot of fun. Congratulations on the year you've had to date. Here's to a successful September and no more having to referee this offseason. How's that? <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you. That's Colin Poche joining us in this week in Race Baseball. And we'll continue in just a moment. You are listening to the Race Baseball Network. We continue on this week in Race Baseball and time for a monthly chat with Andy Davis as well as Brian Anderson from Fox Sports Sun as we start the month of September. Good morning, guys. What's happening? Are morning, we on? Neil. Good morning. <laughs> We're on. Good morning, Neil. Is this live? Yeah. <laughs> is this thing on? Um, obviously, the, the, uh, hopefully the, the team is on and ready to go here with the month of September. If you guys were each to come up with a word or phrase to kind of characterize what we have in the month ahead for this group, what would you use to do it? Wow. I'm sticking with my usual one. Your best players have to be your best players. And I know that we're, we're banged up as far as the pitching staff is concerned, so I think we need to see maybe a little more of what we saw yesterday, uh, where our big boys are our big boys. I think that's been the biggest difference between our home and road uh, splits is our home runs. And it's because our big boys haven't been hitting as many home runs here as they do on the road. So I think yesterday was a step in the right direction. I'm not sure if it's going to be able to stay that way. But, uh, B.A., I know that, uh, you know, you've been in postseason runs before. You, you don't get there by your secondary guys leading the no. way. You get there by your big boys leading the way. No, I 100% agree with that. Um, yeah, your, your guys have to step up. The, the guys that got you here have to step up, no question. I'm going to go a little bit uh, uh, off the radar here, and I'm going to go focus, semicolon, intensity. 
You know, I, I think that what you've seen from this team, especially offensively, here in the last, you know, four games, they've gone up against Garrett Cole, Zach Greinke, Shane Bieber, and guess what? They've swung the bats well against those guys, and they've put runs on the board. I think there are times where you see that, and this is where you talk about that focus and having that intensity day in and day out. You've only got one month left to play because they're able to go out and do that against those types of pitchers, and yet your last two games in Baltimore – you just kind of limp to the ballpark. You limp away from the ballpark. You can't afford to give any more games like that away. You are going to have to bring it for the next month each and every day if you want to get into the postseason. So, for me, that's what it is. I think another thing, too, and, of course, the best players have to be the best players, but I, when teams make it to postseason, sometimes you get unexpected performances from certain players. You think of what Austin Pruitt did yes. a couple of days ago. That, that, that was a needed performance. I don't think the Rays are expecting five and a third shutout baseball. And as it turned out, the bullpen was terrific behind it. But that really helped the cause. It allowed them to then yesterday use the bullpen the way they did, even to the point where you ended up having to use Emilia Pagano on a day when you really didn't want to. But okay, you had to for two outs and ended up winning. So I mean, when I think of the, the years where the Rays made it to postseason, there were some surprise performances down the stretch. I think of a save that Jason Hamill got in Boston in a really tough situation back in 08. And there's some other ones along the way, too. You know, Rocco coming back in 2010 and getting some big hits down the So uh, I think other people tend to surprise you when you make postseason. If you get those surprise moments, that can put you over the top. Since you mentioned surprises to each of you, who's been the most surprising player in a positive way for this group this year? For me, Ryan Yarbrough. I don't mean to just jump in here, but you know, this is a guy earlier on in the year that I thought, well, look, he won 16 last year, but a lot of them were you know, bulk appearances. But to, to have him step up the way he has when this rotation has just been decimated to have him be a, you, you can speak to yeah. this, a, a guy that I can't say of which nothing was expected. I think there are some high expectations, but I think he's met those expectations and gone past them. You know what? If it weren't for all of the injuries to the starting rotation, does Ryan Yarbrough get away from being the bulk guy? Right. He, he, he probably never is able to blossom like he has. I think that he has earned, really in my eyes, he has earned a permanent uh, promotion to become a starting pitcher. He has earned that. He has shown the ability to get through a lineup three times. In fact, you look at his numbers, his third time through the lineup is his best time through the lineup. So I think you know, without those injuries, and you, you don't wish that, of course, on anybody, but you do need guys to step up. He was one of them, um, and he has taken it and ran with it. And for me, I don't know. I mean, surprise may not be the best word because he was a huge prospect, but I think Travis Darno and what he has done for the catcher's position, uh, you know, with Mike Zanino having a, a down year, offensively and then on top of that all of the injuries that they went through he has really come in and he came in with the reputation as a a, a swing first catcher and the the defense was secondary mm-hmm. his defense has been out of this world and you saw it last night all the blocks to keep Lindor at first base and then you know the scoop tag as he's coming home to play I mean he has been I, I thought, think that he's just been absolutely outstanding uh, behind the plate, handling this pitching staff, receiving, blocking, and then his hits have been big hits. Yep. I mean, there was a week there that he won just about every game in that week for the Rays with some sort of big hit. And so uh, Travis Darno for me, has jumped off the charts. And I, I just have to echo what B.A. said. Uh, Travis Darno's on my list. Is, I was talking to somebody yesterday who uh, follows a lot of baseball. He said, you guys got Johnny Bench. You know, he, he's, been, he's been that important for the Rays here over these last uh, few months. And, uh, you know, he went away for a little while during uh, the month of August, but he was back uh, over the last couple of days. And as Kevin Cash told us in the pregame show, he's going, well, maybe he's an every-other-month guy, and that's setting things up for hopefully a pretty good September. 
Speaking of, you know, important guys, where, where does Emilio Pagan figure in all this? Because, uh, Andy, you mentioned the, a couple outs he got yesterday. And, and how critical is it that the Rays are able to find some way here in this last month to get more than just Pagan and Anderson and, and maybe even Poche at the back end of that bullpen? Let's I, got, not, I got Pagan as, oh yeah. as, as unselfish as I've seen any bullpen guy in a long, long time. I know, B.A., you've been around some guys where they only want the ball in the ninth or they got to yeah. know if they're going to get the ball in the seventh or the eighth. Emilio Pagan's going to be ready to take the phone call anytime from about the sixth inning on. And uh, what he did the other day and what he has done even in extra inning games where he has stayed out there and even been walked off on a couple of times, he, he's, he's warred for his teammates. And uh, I, his unselfishness, I think, is a big, big reason why the Rays' bullpen has been uh, as, you know, as utilized as it is. And it kind of carries over to some of the other guys. We saw Nick Anderson coming in a little bit earlier yesterday. Poche's had some moments. So, uh, you know, like if you would have told me in March, B.A., that, that we would have pretty decent-sized regression by Jose Alvarado and uh, Diego Castillo, I, there's, I'd be telling you we'd be lucky to be 500 starting the month of September, but it's because of guys like Emilio Pagan that we're still playing meaningful games this month. He's a manager's dream. He, he's absolutely a manager's dream for all the reasons that you just stated. And guess what? That that rubs off on everybody else down there. And you really have an unselfish bullpen. And these guys understand that high leverage, you know, Nick Anderson, you know, I'm going to be the setup guy. I'm going to close if Emilio Pagan is down that night. Well, guess what? High leverage may come in the seventh. It may come in the sixth at this point this time of the season and these guys are more than willing to go out there and get the outs uh, that are asked of them and you cannot ask for anything more than that especially with as aggressively as Kevin Cash uses that pen a lot of guys in that bullpen point to Chaz Rowe and say that's a guy that is a, that's an important leader down there and you know we're around Chaz he's not a real vocal guy when you talk to him he's got a lot to say you forget the experience that he has He's got some really good, I think he does creative things on the mound. By today's standards, creative, the way he moves on the rubber. Almost batter to batter, pitch to pitch, Yes. Uh, depending on, on what is going on with that. He did something last night yeah. that I've never seen before. And against Jason Kipnis, he was on the far third base side of the rubber with his heel. His heel was yeah. the only thing that was touching the rubber. Now, as you start to drive towards home plate, it's the ball of your foot that usually sits up against the rubber, and you're pushing off of that. Well... His heel was the only thing in touch with that rubber. So as he starts to push towards home plate, the heel comes up. He's just pushing off of dirt. I mean, that is a leap of faith right there. And I've never seen a right-handed pitcher ever do that before, ever. Why don't more pitchers move along the side of the rubber? Did they do it more when you were playing? You know what? Some guys would. I know this. I have pitched from every part of the rubber. You know, I started, obviously, younger, amateur, and coming up through college in the middle of the rubber. And then all of a sudden, to create more of an angle, you know, I've pitched from the first base side, and I've pitched from the far third base side. As crazy as this sounds, moving from one side of the rubber to the other, it is... It is such a completely different look at home plate that you're. it takes you a little bit to acclimate yourself. The guys that are able to do that, pitch to pitch, maybe not pitch to pitch, but at least hitter to hitter, uh, that's pretty special because it is a completely different. You don't think that because the, you know, the rubber's not that long, but boy, oh boy, moving and creating that little bit of a different angle is a completely different look, and not everybody can pull that off. And, Neil, one other thing, just to finish it off about Pagan, we all know this, and you know it more than most, he did not make the opening day roster. He was cut out of spring training. Think of that. We began the year without Pagan. He had to earn his way into this roster, and now he's one of the MVPs of that bullpen. Yeah, now looking at, what, 54 players and a record-setting number of pitchers total. And, and maybe the most important guy, though, is the guy who starts today. How important is today's game? How important is it, too, for Charlie Morton to give you length, especially when you got three games in two days against Baltimore? 
It sets the tone for really the rest of their week. If he can give us length and then the offense can score some runs, then maybe you can use a couple of your B or C guys out of the bullpen today and then maybe bump up, uh, bump back, I should say, Yarbrough uh, to the doubleheader on Tuesday so that you have a, a legit uh, starter going to one of the games on Tuesday and you go bullpen day tomorrow. So Charlie Morton really can kind of set the tone for the rest of the week by giving the Rays some length today. And, again, the offense has to do their part too because Charlie can give you seven innings, but if the offense doesn't score, then you got to utilize the bullpen the way that uh, you have to try and win a close game. But it's a combination of Charlie and the offense to put something together today so that I think going forward, not only just for this week and the doubleheader, but maybe also then separate Morton Yarbrough in the rotation so that you're not going bulk guy, bulk guy, or bullpen, bullpen, bullpen guy after two starters. And another thing I think of, B.A., and I'm curious of your thoughts on this, there were some times earlier in the year when the Rays took Charlie out, really trying to monitor where his innings were. And now, okay, he has stayed healthy because he has such an injured past. He's been able to make every start. He's going to blow by the innings total that they were expecting. And this is even when they, they pulled him back a little bit. Think of that game early on in the year in Toronto when they, they took him out. There's a couple other ones. Boy, do they need him now more than ever to give length. And now it gives a larger perspective of what we were saying at the time, saying, why did they take him out? Well, now I guess it makes a little more sense. Yeah, and, and you know what? And, and Charlie Morton, and he signed that two-year deal with the Rays with the intention of playing the two years and then and riding off into the sunset. He understands what's at stake here. He's a veteran. He's been in the postseason before. He has pitched in Game 7 of the World Series the last four innings to win a World's Championships. He knows what it's all about. He's going to do anything that this club asks him. Um, and he's going to be one of those guys that wants to be out there on the mound. I think today, like you guys have said, very, very important. And, you know, I look at the setup this way. Adam Plutko, I think he's making his 17th start of the season. His worst start of the season was against the Rays, where they tagged him for seven earned runs in just over five innings up in Cleveland. So worst start of the year for Plutko was against this offense, so they have a lot of confidence going in. And also, I was always leery of going up against an elite starting pitcher who is coming off a subpar outing because you knew he wasn't going to have another one. He was going to come out and deal that last game. Charlie Morton in Houston, uh, you know, a little bit of a dud. You usually don't see guys like Charlie Morton have two in a row, so you expect him to come out here focused, ready to go, throw a gem, get to Plutko. This could be a real big uh, chance to sweep this series. I, I did talk with Mark Topkin just a couple of moments ago, and he said when talking to Charlie yesterday, Charlie had a little flashback, though. He said, you know what, last year at this time, I went on the, uh, the then DL with oh, fatigue. No. But he goes, I feel way, way better than I did a year ago at this time. So hopefully that's the case as he goes into the start here today. But it's kind of interesting that he thinks about that as he gets ready to start today. Of course he does. Of course he does. These guys, sometimes you wonder what they go to the media with, just how much of it is planned out to plant some seeds. So now we're up here talking about it, and Charlie's down there chuckling, getting ready to go nine. We've got about a minute. Uh, Would Kevin let him go nine? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pipe dream. About a minute here. Glasnow and Snell, still a ways away, but the emotional lift it would give this group to have them back in any form. Oh, it would be it would be outstanding it, just to have them back uh, you know on the active roster and able to be able to go out there give an inning to whatever um, it's going to buoy this, the the spirits of this team. No question. Well, let's hope. I mean, uh, it, you know, it sure sounds like it. Look, we've gotten to this point before where guys are close to coming back. You think like a Brandon Lau situation, and then something happens. I can't count on it until it happens, but boy, I think all of our appetites are wet to see what it would look like if the, especially both those guys could get back here. Yeah, what they said. <laughs> well said. <laughs> guys, have a good call today and a great month of September. We appreciate some time in this week in race baseball. You too, Neil. All right, Thanks. All right thank you, Neil. 
Coming up on the program, Josh Lowe on a tough week for the Biscuits. John Higgins on Vince Namoli and Jim Rosenhouse on the Indians. This is This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Neil Solon's back with you on This Week in Rays Baseball. This certainly has been a tough week in the Rays family. Yesterday, services for the Bivens and Bernard families after the tragedy involving the family of Blake Bivens, the Rays AA pitcher. You know, I had planned on speaking with talented outfielder Josh Lowe about going to the Arizona Fall League, but first, I spoke with him on Friday about what this week has been like. I don't really think I can put it in context. I don't think anybody here uh, can do that because, you know, such a tragic event that happened to um, one of our, our brothers on the team. You know, the Bivens family, we're all behind them, praying for them. And, uh, you know, it's a tough time for everybody here, the the Rays, and we're all getting through it together. Uh, we've got each other's backs. And, you know, this, this kind of brings the team together even more than we already were, which is kind of hard to do because it's a close-knit group of guys. But... Um, you know, now now more than ever, we're stepping up for for each other and having each other's backs when when someone needs it. How appreciative have you been about the way the organization has handled things, and how difficult has it been through all of it still to to manage to compete? Yeah, I I think the uh, the organization's doing a great job being able to uh, arrange something for the guys to uh, attend the funeral. Um, I think it's going to be great for us to be there for Blake and you know for his family as well, and sit there behind him and and have his back and just be able to give him a hug and see his face again you know yesterday was tough playing our first game back you know it felt like the first four or five innings we really weren't even playing a game it was just going to the motions because all we could think about was was Blake and um, for us to you know compete in that game yesterday and actually come from behind and win the ball game that was huge and that just shows what this this ball club is capable of doing and certainly we wish you a lot of a luck in, in the postseason um, I want to touch on what your personal season has been like, because I look at the numbers and it's been your best season to date. How proud have you been of what you've accomplished to this point, and where do you think you've improved? Yeah, I think that I worked really hard in the offseason on trying to just get better at the overall aspect of the game of baseball, doing the little things right in the offseason to, to make sure the big things and, and the small things during the season go right as well. You know, I, I can't thank the, the guys that have I've been playing around because it's really easy to to play around this team and, and play well because on any given night one guy can pick up the team and put them on their back and help help the team win and you know I, there's a lot of credit to be to be given to the coaches and the people I've been surrounded by and the support I've had and uh, like I said it's really easy to to play well and have fun when you're on a team that's good. You've put up career highs in a lot of areas. I mean, you, you've hit for more power. You've you've done a great job in the speed category. Is there an area that you think your game has improved more than any other offensively and defensively? And then if you could touch on maybe what uh, Jamie Nelson has, has meant to you in terms of your growth at right. the plate. Right. Um, yeah, I definitely, obviously, seen the, the power numbers jump a little bit. But um, I think a big part of that has been some of the things Jamie and I have worked on. Not trying to overswing, but just taking a, a, an easy swing and seeing contact happen. And... Uh, you know the the ball will do the rest after after that happens. You know he's he's really he's really helped me just kind of keep it simple. And you know his his biggest philosophy when it comes to hitting is contact point and and uh, seeing the ball really well with your eyes. And if, I don't think you can hit the ball if you can't do those things. And then when it comes to the speed category, you know Gary Gary's done a great job. Um, you know kind of helping me get some jumps, learning the ins and outs of base running a little more than I didn't know and uh yeah it's 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 been fun 
You know, I think people forget how young you are because of how quickly you've kind of moved through the system. What did it, what does it mean to go to the Fall League for you, and, and what are you most looking forward to? It's a, it's a pretty big honor to go to the Fall League and compete with some of the best minor leaguers to uh, prove, uh, prove what you can do in that league. You know, it's, it's going to be an awesome experience. One of uh, a couple of my close friends were there last year, and so I've gotten the inside scoop. And uh, I'm just looking forward to going out there and competing a little more and being able to put on that, that raised jersey. This year is going to be a little bit different because they're doing it right after the minor league season. In the past, they used to start it in October, give you guys a couple weeks to rest your bodies. I would imagine this has got to feel like a big league season plus the playoffs in terms of what you're going to go through. Right. Yeah, I think, I think it would feel like that. And I'll give a good uh, replica for what's going to come in the future. You know, I'm, I'm excited to get out there and be back in Arizona. It's been a little while since I've been out there and played baseball, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's still baseball. The bases are 90 feet, the mound's 60 feet, 6 inches away, and the fences are the same dimension. So it's just a matter of going out there, having fun, and doing the best I can competing every day. Are you particularly excited about uh, some of the race uh, prospects that are joining you? Taylor Walls has been on your team for a good part of the second half of this season. He's going there. I knew Drew Stratman, who has come back from Tommy John quite well and his pitch this year in Port Charlotte is going to go there too. Right, yeah. Um, you know, I'm always excited to uh, see the future, what the Rays have up their sleeve. You know, throughout the course of the season, I'm only able to watch so many other guys and then catch up on what the other guys do, but I'm not able to see them play. Um, you know, it's been fun playing alongside Taylor all year long for the most part. Uh, he's a great player and he, he brings a lot of different skills to the table. You know, some of the other guys that are going through. I know he's been battling injuries, and he's coming back this year, so happy to see him back on the mound. And then, you know, some of the other guys that are going, Baz, you know, he's a big-time name in our organization, big arm. Um, and then Ronnie Hernandez, uh, just excited to see what all the guys that are going can do. What are you hoping to gain out of that experience? Uh, what are you hoping to learn um, that will help you, I guess, going into your off season and getting ready for next year? I think it's just one of those things where I can go out there and improve what I did during the season among that group of group of players and go out there and just compete every day. You know, being the same person, having fun, playing the ball game, meet some new guys that I'll, I'm sure, run back into in the future. And, uh, you know, maybe some of these about to take some things home, work on some things that, or find out some things that I can and can't do, and, uh, you know, take that from there. And what would it mean to you to win a championship this year? You guys have won both the first and the second half in your league now. You know, I think that means everything to uh, this team, especially what we've gone through recent here. Not only just for us, but you know, for Blake. And uh, that really mean the world to uh, this team, and I think there's a really good chance of us doing that. Well, I wish you a lot of luck, uh, especially under the circumstances. I appreciate some time, and uh, we wish you best of luck in the Fall League, too, and thanks for being on this week in race baseball. Yeah, Neil, thank you very much. And that's a mature 21-year-old Josh Lowe who's going to the Fall League this month with race prospects Ronaldo Hernandez, Taylor Walls, plus Shane Boz and Drew Strotman, among others. If you can help the Bivens family, please check out their GoFundMe page or the GoFundMe page that was created for them. This also is a somber week in the race family because of the passing of the original owner of the franchise, Vince Namoli, who died earlier this week at the age of 81. I spoke with one of the franchise's original employees, Senior VP John Higgins, about Namoli's legacy. We, um, as... Rays fans should all say a great prayer of thanks to Vince uh, upon his passing for all the 
joy we have experienced over the last 21 years of watching Major League Baseball. And Vince was the driving force behind bringing a team to Tropicana Field and to the Tampa Bay area, and we should be very, very thankful that he did so because it's been a great 21 years, and Vince was very proud of this. How do you remember Vince? Tough, hard-nosed, relentless, to use in uh, uh, sitting in a baseball stadium, to use a, a, a football analogy, Vince never took a play off. He was hardworking, driven every minute of every day, and he worked nonstop from the moment he get up till he went home at night and he used to carry around the, this huge pile of, of, of papers and he would go through them and then ship, if he's out of town, he'd ship them Federal Express back to the office and if, uh, if he was in town, he'd put them in his briefcase, briefcases because he needed more than one and bring them back to the, to the office for somebody to go through and to hand out uh, around the office. What do you remember maybe about your first encounter or the first time you really got to know him? Uh, my first encounter was in the aftermath of Vince and the city suing Major League Baseball in the aftermath of the rejection of the San Francisco Giants uh, purchase and relocation. Vince uh, and I got face-to-face. I did not know Vince before that. He was looking for a lawyer to handle that case and in a larger viewpoint to help the him and the ownership group get a major league baseball team here since the the giant situation had uh, uh, not succeeded and uh, I remember saying to Vince in that meeting you've taken on a, a a serious piece of business here you have sued 27 very very rich powerful and successful people in addition to a whole bunch of other rich and powerful people in San Francisco and it's not to be trifled with I said uh, you know this isn't just some you know uh, some uh, menial exercise these people are going to be out for blood they'll be uh, uh, they won't take kindly to having been sued over this and you have to be prepared for an out and out fight and he was (laughs) And obviously eventually won. What's a side maybe of Vince that we didn't see, that maybe you had a chance to see over your many years working with him? Yeah, people didn't realize Vince Vince was a really fun-loving guy when he took the time to, to do it. Um, it, it. It's best exemplified by, uh, you know, whenever you're around him and uh, a Notre Dame game is, is on or in person at a Notre Dame game. He was intense and was playing the game along with players and the coaches, but uh, – once the game was over, assuming Notre Dame had won, he was just in the greatest spirits and the like. He was also very, very compassionate, and that's a side that very few people have seen and knew about Vince. A lot of it has been uh, has been exemplified by uh, the the great philanthropic initiatives he has undertaken in uh, you know over the last you know ten fifteen twenty years you know the things he's done at Notre Dame at the University of Tampa, other places that he went to school uh, and just other places uh, he's done a lot of things with uh, with Catholic charities that I've heard about some of which haven't been publicized but because you know I uh, I know a lot of people with the the Catholic diocese you'll hear that hey you know what. 
Vince did something really uh, good for us. He did something of significance over at St. Anthony's Hospital. It's just his, his, his fingerprints are everywhere. But it sounds like he didn't want a whole lot of credit for all of it either. No, which a lot of people, I would think, would find that surprising because Vince, you know, Vince uh, from on a business side, he a lot of people perceive that Vince wanted the credit for this or the credit for that, which um, I don't know whether that's necessarily the case. But, yeah, he wasn't looking for any kind of uh, accolades or publicity over, you know, philanthropic uh, and compassionate things that he did. He was doing it for the right reasons because, quite frankly, it would do good for the, a community that he cared a great deal about. Why did he care so much about this community, do you think, having spent so much time with them? I'm going to attribute it to baseball. He may have been like that, you know, pre-1992 or so, but I, I don't know that I didn't know him then. But I think that when he, he was asked by the community, basically, the powers that be in the community, to be the leader of the expansion effort or the, 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 the baseball effort, whether that's through expansion or through uh, relocation, he he wasn't getting paid for it, but he took it upon himself because it was something the community needed. And I think people in the community, in turn, thanked him for that because the people that you know really wanted baseball brought here, they knew how difficult it had been, all the different failed efforts over the years. And I think they saw a guy who was going to not stop until there was a baseball team playing in this building. And because of that, I think it became a cooperative effort, and Vince viewed it as as he was serving as, you know, serving the community almost in a public trust sort of fashion and the like. And and so because of that, he saw, I think, a, a lot of, uh, of appreciation sent his way for that effort and then being successful. Certainly in a game of baseball where everyone fails seven out of ten times, Everyone's going to be flawed, and he had his own flaws. But what do you remember about the day that this area got a team, and what do you remember about his reaction to that? Well, what I remember is I didn't sleep the night before. I stayed up all night because uh, I was negotiating the deal with the uh, with the baseball owners. And then when I got back to my room, it was like two hours before we needed to get up. So I said, well, I'm not going to go to sleep. and like, So I was tired all day. It was uh, the adrenaline was pumping and, and the like, uh, not to go too far off track but over the the preceding 36 hours or so baseball had changed the rules the the rules and the and the and the purchase price had been established for quite a few months they at that evening uh, the evening of March 8th uh, into the the wee hours of of the morning of of March 9th they changed the rules on us during that process Vince was the calmest and most serious I'd ever seen him and our fellow expansion uh, partners uh, in Arizona, they weren't quite so uh, calm about it, and, and uh, they were prepared to leave. And Vince, uh, you know, uh, talked them out of that, and he was the, the calm and analytical one who came up with a way to solve the, the problem, pay what they wanted to pay, but make it work from a cash flow perspective and a timing standpoint. So uh, it was a win-win for everybody. And uh, that was one, that, that was a situation that very easily could have blown up. And there's no telling if we hadn't gotten the team the next day, what would have happened? And that's all because of Vince. 
And that's John Higgins on Vince Namoli. The Rays, of course, wearing special patches the remainder of the year with Namoli's initials, VJN, to honor him. Back to the field where the Rays continue to battle with the Indians for a playoff spot. I spoke with Indians radio broadcaster Jim Rosenhouse and asked him how he sizes up the final month. Well, I, I think the Indians are still holding out hope that they can overtake the Twins, but obviously that's getting a little more difficult here. They, they've fallen four and a half back. Uh, the silver lining is they still have six games with Minnesota, so, so there's some good head-to-head there. But certainly they just want to get into the postseason if, if the division doesn't work out. And um, It's been a challenge, but they, they got themselves back into it after a real rough start where – it just didn't seem like postseason would be a realistic option this year. So um, we'll see if they have enough left. They're, they're kind of, I think as you may have seen in this series, um, they're struggling a little bit just from a depth standpoint. And, and I know you guys have been through injuries too, and, and uh, sometimes they can catch up. But they're, they're battling through and, and certainly feel good about where they're at with 25 to go. You're, you know, we're all lamenting who's not here sometimes as much as who is there. Who do you think they miss the most right now? of the guys that aren't here with this group? Boy, that's a good question. Um, I, I think just short-term, Jose Ramirez, because the lineup was clicking pretty good there for a while, and, and, and their hot stretch that started in June coincided with him heating up. He had really struggled the first two months, and, and it was ongoing back to last season. And then all of a sudden, he was the Jose Ramirez that we've seen a bunch. So that kind of got the offense going. Um, I'd, I'd like to say... Pitching, you know, the, the Kluber loss and the Carrasco loss were big, but they seem to get through that okay. So, so I'm going to go with Jose Ramirez as being the, the biggest loss that they've had. And they also had the Tyler Naquin injury to begin this series, and then Jason Kipnis leaves the game yesterday. How beat up is the lineup, and how much more pressure does this put on guys like Francisco Lindor and Carlos Santana? Well, it absolutely does, um, and the lineup is beat up, but... Uh, Look, every team is. At this time of year, every team is. So uh, you do the best you can. Um, sometimes the games aren't the prettiest in September because of that. But you just kind of battle through. And, and I think the what Terry Francona has told this team, not only this year but other years when they've had injuries, um, nobody feels sorry for you. Uh, the other team certainly doesn't. So um, you can do one of two things. You can pack up and go home or, or you can battle through and, and – Maybe it gives someone else an opportunity, and I think we've seen that this year with some of the young pitchers. They've gotten an opportunity, and they've stepped up big. We saw Zach Plesak yesterday. We see Adam Pletko today. How do you think they're faring right now coming into September? Because this is probably new for them, pitching a six-month in important games. You know, Pletko, I think, is better off than, than Plesak. Plesak, that they actually extended his rest this time through I think you saw last night they got him out of there maybe sooner than they would have uh, earlier. So they're trying to be careful with him because he'll have an innings jump, had Tommy John a couple of years back. So they're, they're trying to be careful with him. Pletko's fine. Um, he missed some time at the start of the season at the end of spring training, so his innings aren't as high as, as police acts, and, and he's feeling great. So from that standpoint, he's fine. But, um, yeah, you know, it's certainly a concern with younger pitchers. They were hoping to get Kluber back, and then he had kind of a setback with something else, so it, it doesn't look like he'll be back anytime soon. Um, but, again, you just you go with what you have, and, and hopefully it's enough. 
emotionally, how big is the lift of Carlos Carrasco today coming off the injured list? And what do you expect from him in September? I think it's a big lift for this team. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he's used early on. I think they kind of want to get him into the first one in a, in a non-game-changing situation if they can. Um, I think it's a huge lift for this team. He's extremely popular. His teammates love him. Um, and it's just it's a remarkable story, really, that, that he's back pitching at all. But uh, it's funny, when he first started throwing, I think it was more just therapeutic for him to get out and do something that, that he enjoys and, instead of just treatment and things like that. So um, and it, it, I think he will help because the, the bullpen could use an extra arm back there, especially at the back end. If he's what they think he is, um, he'll help in the back end of that bullpen. How much do you think Cleveland expands the rosters in September? I expect this last year of up to 40 that the Rays might go all the way to 40 if they have to. Um, the Indians won't, but they'll they'll bring in enough players to, to cover themselves in, in situations like the extra catcher and extra infielder. They'll bring up some extra arms too. Um, but they're very cognizant. Uh, I think what has helped this team get in the race and, and be relevant here in September um, it's a tight-knit group, and I think Terry Francona is cognizant of that. You don't want to bring in too many extra players who haven't been a part of that all summer um, just to have them here. If they're going to contribute, absolutely. But they also look at it as they, they don't want a, a kid who maybe it's his first time in the big leagues just to come up and sit on the bench. That doesn't do anybody any good. So if they're going to come up and get at-bats and, and, and be valuable, for instance, Jose Ramirez, when he first came up, they brought him up from Double A several years ago at 13, and he just to pinch run, and he pinch ran a lot, so he was valuable, and and that's what it's got to be. So I, I don't think they'll extend it to 40, but they'll bring enough to be covered in the bullpen, and then third catcher, backup infielder, backup outfielder. And how important is today's game for the Rays? It's a last against the contenders. You know, I, I think it's important just from the standpoint of it's been a rough couple of days here for the Indians, um, and all of a sudden, you know, things really tightened up. Uh, if they lose or win, does it impact the remainder of the race? No. Um, I think just for peace of mind, I think they'd love to get a win to, to go home and not get swept here. Um, obviously, standings-wise, it'll flip some things, but um, there's still enough baseball left where, from that standpoint, I don't think they're that worried. But I think they'd like to play a good, clean game today if they can. And that is Jim Rosenhouse of the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Special thanks to him and all the guests on the program today, including left-handed reliever Colin Poche, Dave and Andy, as well as Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun, along with Josh Lowe from the Montgomery Biscuits. What has been a challenging week for Montgomery and the Rays family, and also John Higgins for joining us to talk about the late Vince Namoli. Of course, if you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. Now, next week, a reminder for you, the NFL season beginning, we move our show to Saturday, still 90 minutes before first pitch. For my producer, Derek DuBose, Neil Solon saying stay tuned. The pregame show is next on the Rays Baseball Network.